welcome to Stonebridge Online. Just before we start the service, here are some announcements and things to know. During this time of worshiping online, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com, click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can give by mail. If you'd like offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. Join us for Christmas Eve on the front lawn at Stonebridge. We will have two service times to choose from, 2.30 and 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Registration is required. One way our church family celebrates the holy season is through our special Heart of Christmas offering. The Heart of Christmas offering is divided between five important ministries that make a difference all year long. Action, Impact, Front Porch Ministries, New Church Development, and the Christmas Joy Offering. For more information on each of these ministries and to make a donation, please visit our website, click on Resources. On Sunday, December 20th, we'll have our next outdoor service at 10.30 a.m., weather permitting. Come and be with others in a safe environment as we conclude our Advent series, Anointed, Why Was Jesus Sent? Pre-registration is required. For those events that require registration or for any details you might have missed, please check your newsletter or visit our website. And lastly, we would love to know that you're worshiping with Stonebridge. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Worship Online. My name is Olivia Moseri. I'm the Director of Youth and Family Ministry here. This week in worship, Pastor John will be continuing his Advent reflections on the coming of the Messiah and the scriptures that shape our understanding of what it means for us as individuals and as a church to have hope in Jesus. As the psalmist wrote, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Let us open our hearts and minds to the word and presence of God and hold fast to the faith which allows us to wait for the coming of the Lord. Welcome to worship.
Stonebridge. Our scripture reading today comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warrior and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It was a little under a year ago that my wife Emily said to me, there's a situation over in Wuhan that I'm a little concerned about. My response at the time was, where is Wuhan and why should I care about anything happening there? And Emily told me, Wuhan is in China. You should probably know that. And there's a virus that is spreading rapidly. And me, in my wisdom, responded by saying, that's not going to be a big deal. I, I chuckle at it now, not at the tragedy that has taken place, but at my own naivete, my own dismissiveness, which, looking back, is so foolish. I really dismissed Emily's concerns. I didn't really listen that well, and I just kind of moved along. And luckily for us, for our family, however dismissive I was of Emily's concerns, she was just as dismissive of my dismissiveness. Rather than listen to me, 
Emily said, I think I'm just going to prepare anyway. And very early on, before any sort of hoarding or run on supermarkets began, Emily just started buying appropriate amounts of Clorox wipes, of hand sanitizer, of water, uh, of food that could last in case we couldn't go to the supermarket. She just started buying these things, again, at appropriate amounts. This was before any sort of run on supermarkets took place. And she started planning and preparing. And then January turned into February. And I would tease Emily about this, continuing to believe this wasn't going to be a big deal. Somewhere in my head, I had it in there that we had had SARS, we had had MERS, two, two other viruses that had spread but had been contained. And the pattern in our lifetime seemed to be that these things would be contained, that it wouldn't really affect us. But then March hit and things started to change and the virus spread and it came here. And very quickly, I found myself telling Emily over and over and over again, you were 100% right and I was 100% wrong. Luckily for me, that's not the only time I've had to say that to Emily. And part of our marriage has been me learning that she's usually right on most things. I think it's actually me learning. I need to stay in my whole Greek Hebrew Bible lane and, and just trust her outside of that. But Emily was right. She was able to look at the situation and to have foresight and have planning and respond appropriately before events actually happen. So those first few months of this pandemic for us were actually a lot less stressful than it seemed for other people. We knew that we had some key things already lined up. The only thing Emily seemed to not have prepared for was the whole toilet paper thing, which we figured out later, but who knew that that would be the focus um, of what people would begin hoarding. But Emily's foresight and planning when I actually read the scripture passage for this week from Isaiah, that's what comes to mind for me, was the foresight and the planning. And I'm sure that makes no sense at first here, especially this week. I mean, this passage is talking about people who were living in darkness, who then experienced a great light, and they're rejoicing because of that light. We just had power outages here, and many of us found ourselves rejoicing when the power was finally turned on. So I think God did give us a great metaphor this week for this passage and for understanding a little bit of the feelings. But the light, the darkness, that, that whole picture, that's just there to express the feelings about something important that has happened in the life of the people of God in the book of Isaiah. As Isaiah tells us, they are rejoicing. This light has come upon them. They can now see. They can move forward because a child was born. And it's actually that child and that story that makes me think of foresight and planning and providing a path in a difficult situation. We normally hear this passage from Isaiah and we think about Christmas because it's usually read at Christmas, and for good reason. Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, does take this passage from Isaiah and applies it to Jesus. So we use this passage to help celebrate the birth of Jesus, and it's appropriate to do so, because that's what Matthew, the writer of the Gospel, tells us to do. 
As Jesus is beginning his ministry, Matthew quotes Isaiah here. But where the whole foresight and planning comes into play is when we look at this passage in Isaiah. When you look at it in Isaiah and you read about it in its original context, you realize originally this passage, it, it, it wasn't pointing to Jesus when the prophet wrote these words down. In fact, it wasn't even pointing to a Messiah. There's no mention in here of anointed. There's no language that's typically around the Messiah. Originally, when it was first written down, this passage in Isaiah was actually pointing to a king. A king who ruled over Jerusalem. A king who ruled over the people of God, those who had the covenant with God. And this king's name was Hezekiah. Now last week we talked about a king named Ahaz, and Ahaz was unfaithful. Ahaz completely abandoned faith in God, brought in all sorts of idols, put his faith in military might and alliances and scheming and, and his own plans. And Hezekiah is Ahaz's son. But beyond being his son, there are few similarities between these two. Because Hezekiah is about just as opposite of his father as you can get. Where Ahaz is unfaithful, Hezekiah is incredibly faithful. Where Ahaz sets up idols and shrines to idols, Hezekiah tears those down and pulls people through a series of reforms and laws that he passes, pulls the people to the worship of the God of the Bible. So Hezekiah can't be more different than Ahaz, his father. And the Bible praises Hezekiah. Over and over again, the Bible praises Hezekiah. In 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings, two of the books in the Bible, Hezekiah is praised maybe more than any other king in, in Israel's history, in Judah's history, in the history of the people of God. But where the foresight and the planning that I mentioned comes into play, and why this passage makes me think of that, is because of one of the stories that Hezekiah is known for. You see, Ahaz, his father, had, had to deal with a siege, we're told. And it's almost as though God gave this family a, a second chance, a do-over, because Hezekiah has to face a siege. And Ahaz also had the temptation of putting his faith in foreign governments, Hezekiah has that temptation also, but Ahaz gave into it. Hezekiah doesn't. The Assyrian Empire has come to Jerusalem during Hezekiah's reign. And they've encamped around the city of Jerusalem. And they're putting the city under siege. The nation of Egypt has offered to help Hezekiah, but at a steep cost. And the prophet has said, have faith in God. Trust in God. Don't do foreign alliances. Same message that Ahaz had. And Hezekiah is actually faithful to that. Hezekiah places his faith in God. And through this, the people are delivered. But I think saying that Hezekiah places his faith in God, it doesn't tell the full story here. Because Hezekiah, yes, he places his faith in God, but he also places his faith in the wisdom that God has given him. 
Now, when I think back to biblical times, and so often we hear these stories about sieges and cities being under siege. And I, that's an experience I'm very grateful that I've never had to experience myself. Because a siege would be terrifying. The point of a siege was to put an army around a city to block off the resources so that no food and no water could get into that city. So the people who were living there, they would either die or open up the doors or overthrow their king who was refusing to surrender or would force a surrender under terrible conditions. I can't imagine the fear that the people living in the city must have felt during sieges. But though I can't imagine it, apparently Hezekiah could imagine it. Because this siege during Hezekiah's reign, it has a very surprising outcome. Because you see, before this siege, Hezekiah had foresight and planning. He used the wisdom that God had given him. In the same way that my wife Emily was able to look at this virus spreading in Wuhan and realize this is spreading incredibly quickly and then start planning appropriately just in case, Hezekiah was able to look at his situation and months before this siege happened, through the wisdom God had given him, he was able to see we're probably going to face a siege here. So what did he do? Before the siege actually takes place, Hezekiah did all sorts of construction. He redirected a water supply. He built tunnels so that they could get out of the city and go get resources and bring those back. He starts planning so that when the siege actually happens, the people in Jerusalem are fine. They have the resources they need. They have the water supply. The whole purpose of the siege, it's not going to work. And it doesn't work. And Hezekiah's, Hezekiah's planning and his foresight paired with God's work, it saves Jerusalem. So, of course, the prophet is celebrating at the birth of Hezekiah here. Of course, Isaiah is lifting this up and celebrating the birth of Hezekiah, this child. Now, as I tell this story, and as we look at what the Bible tells us about Hezekiah, and we put these pieces together, a question may be arising for you. What does this have to do with the Messiah? Because our sermon series is anointed, and we're looking at the Messiah, and Jesus as the Messiah, and what the hopes and expectations were for Jesus as the Messiah. So, how do we get from this story about a siege and the foresight and planning of a ruler to the expectation of an anointed one of God. We don't know for sure, but by the time of Matthew, it's clear that this passage is focused on a Messiah. And while we may not know for sure, we can actually kind of piece this together, I think. When we look at the way the Bible works, and the Bible helps us understand how God works in the world, one of the main ways the Bible works is by looking at the past deeds of God in order to understand the future deeds of God. 
It's actually the same principle that we just use for learning about people, ourselves. So my wife, Emily, she was completely correct when it came to this pandemic. Before anybody else that I spoke to, Emily saw that this could become a very serious situation and planned appropriately. So through that experience and through thinking about her past deeds and what she did and her judgment there, I now know I should just trust Emily when it comes to pandemic stuff. She gets the final say in our house about what restrictions we have, about how we're going to respond. Because in the most important moment in this pandemic, she was right, I was wrong, and I'm much wiser if I just trust her. Again, there's a number of areas in which that's true in our marriage, but the pandemic is the most obvious one here. But the Bible has a similar approach to God. You look at the past deeds of God that are in the Bible or the past deeds that God has performed in your own life. And because God has behaved in that way in the past, you know you can trust God to behave in that way in the future. So the people who read the Bible, who focus on the Bible, the people who are studying this story of Isaiah, hearing, or Hezekiah, hearing the story of Hezekiah in the book of Isaiah, they are able to plan and prepare that God is going to do a similar thing. Because when you read this passage in Isaiah, it's actually ultimately God who gets the credit for Hezekiah. Whereas Hezekiah has the foresight and the wisdom to provide deliverance, the end of the passage in Isaiah says the Lord will do this. The Lord of hosts will do this. That's referring to God. So people of God, they would look back on the way God had delivered Jerusalem through Hezekiah, and they would expect that God would do that again. That God would provide another leader like Hezekiah, who would be wise, who would have foresight, and in the middle of a difficult situation where the people don't know how to move forward, this leader would provide a path forward. This Messiah, this anointed one of God, the leader that God would provide, would act like Hezekiah and provide a path forward for the people, provide a way forward towards deliverance. So by the time that Jesus is on the scene and Matthew is writing his gospel and reflecting on all that Jesus has done, it actually makes perfect sense that Matthew would be using this passage to key us into the fact that Jesus is the Messiah who provides the path for us. That Jesus is the Messiah who gives us deliverance, who provides a way for us to be saved. In our lives today, when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, which we all have this pandemic that we're dealing with, but we all have other situations as well. I mean, part of life is difficult situations that arise that we have to work our way through. Sadnesses, loss, that is part of life. And in those moments though, those of us who proclaim Jesus as Messiah, because of this connection to Hezekiah and the story and understanding that Jesus is a leader similar to Hezekiah but greater, we can look around at whatever situation we're in and we can ask ourselves, how is God at work here? How is God providing a way forward? How is God providing a path for me to move forward? How is Jesus, the Messiah, at work in this situation delivering me from this? We get to ask that question. And rather than responding in panic or concern, we can start 
thinking about what the Holy Spirit is doing, what Jesus is doing. And we can plan and proceed appropriately. That's one of the promises around the Messiah. But I want to be very, very clear and upfront with everybody here. This doesn't mean that the path God provides for us is completely free of any sort of sadness or suffering. For whatever reason, grief is still a part of our lives. Even when we follow Jesus, we will experience loss. That is just a sad truth of a world that has sin in it and a world that's separated from God. But the beauty of the gospel we proclaim focuses on the cross. Because by going to the cross, by Jesus sacrificing his life, suffering for people, Jesus provided an ultimate path for us to redemption, to restoration, and to resurrection. That's the promise of the gospel. So the path in front of us, it may still involve temporarily some hurt and some pain. But the promise of the Messiah and the way Jesus fulfilled this promise was that the cross and the resurrection that follows points us to the fact that death, grief, loss, they are ultimately temporary. The path Jesus provides will bring us through those as well into redemption, restoration, and resurrection. So as we reflect on Jesus as the Messiah, as we reflect on the story of Hezekiah and the way the prophet lifts up God for providing Hezekiah, may we also pray and hope that God opens up our eyes so that where we see darkness, we can see light and we can see in the light the path that Jesus provides for us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, in whatever situation. May God open up our eyes so we can see the path God provides for us through Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, you may have noticed that Pastor Jonathan led us through a prayer time in response to the sermon. And it is appropriate to respond to the Word of God in prayer. So for a season, we're going to be providing this space in our online service to respond in prayer. And we're going to be using the words of the Lord's Prayer to conclude this prayer time. Now you may be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. You also may not be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer that Jesus gives us. In the Gospels, his disciples ask him, teach us how to pray. So Jesus gives them word for word a prayer that they can say. Now for many of us, prayer comes easily. For others of us, prayer is difficult. And the Lord's Prayer is so helpful because in those moments where we find prayer to be difficult, where we're not sure what to say to God, we can rest in the words that Jesus gives us. So those of us who don't feel as comfortable praying, we can rely on Jesus' words and trust that Jesus' words are sufficient for our prayers and trust that God will know our hearts. We can lift the Lord's Prayer up to God. So I'm going to invite you to say that out loud wherever you are. Um, after we conclude this prayer time. But I'm going to provide about 15 seconds here for you to lift up a situation or a person in a situation. It could be yourself or somebody else. 
who's in need of our Messiah Jesus to provide a way forward for them, to provide a path for them to deliverance. Lift up that person, that situation in prayer. And then I'll invite you to join with me to say the Lord's Prayer out loud, where we can continue to pray for whatever situation it is that you lift up. So please join me in prayer. Lord God, we lift up our situations, these people, to you now. Please join me in the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus the name above every other name the only one who could ever save worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Every 
And now, as we conclude this week's worship, receive the blessing. Be people of hope. Let hope live in your heart and share the hope of Christ with all you meet. Share hope by sharing in the humanity of others. Share hope by listening to others well. Share hope by praying for our world. In this Advent season, share the hope of Christ Jesus. Amen.